All right, folks, back at it again. Cheyenne, Doug here, Birdie's Not BS. I've got one of my favorite people in the golf industry with us today, my personal sports psychologist, performance coach, the confidence doc, Dr. Bob Winters. What's going on, Dr. Bob? Well, Doug, it's, it's great to be back, you know, with you. It's been too long, too many years, and to have, you know, Cheyenne here with us. Uh, this is a great threesome here. I'll take this threesome anywhere in the world and play anybody. I guarantee you that right now. you damn right. Well, you putting and <laughs> Cheyenne hitting drives. So, Dr. Bob, look, man, I, you know, on our show, we try to talk about the beginners, the high-level players, the mid-handicappers, the tour players. As a performance coach, I don't even know what to call you. Are you a, are you a sports psychologist, Doc? Are you a mental? What, are, what, what, what do you go by? I go by Dr. Bob Winters. I go by uh, a sports psychologist. Okay. Because I mean, there's a lot of people, you know, in the world today that say they're mental trainers, mental coaches, but they, they really don't have any advanced degrees. They don't have psychology degrees, coaching, physical education, kinesiology, motor learning, motor development, sports vision. They don't have the background that a few of us do have. It sounds and, like you have class tomorrow with all those degrees. <laughs> well, I have. I've got more degrees than a thermometer. I always tell people that. <laughs> but I wasn't a professional student. But you have to realize I'm sort of one of the pioneers in the fields. And then I was introduced to one Dr. Bob Rotella who really loved everything I was doing. And next thing you know, I mean, it's evolved into uh, this great sports psychology. But it's just not sports psychology. Uh, when I talk about my, I'm a hybrid in the, in the so I've been a player, a coach, uh, an educator, a sports psychologist. So I, I kind of, you know, see everything from a full dimension. It isn't just the mental game because I always say golf is 100% mental. It's 100% physical. It's damn well 100% emotional. Damn and right. And it's 100% compartmental. You need to be able to compartmentalize stuff and put stuff and disconnect the bad stuff. And be able to focus, you know, on your golf game when it's time to play golf. And, and whether you're, you're a new player or an old grizzled veteran, I'll tell you what, you're still trying every day to master not just the game, but to master your own mind, to master your own emotions, and trying to get the best, you know, out of yourself that you can do. And that's why it's the greatest game ever invented, because you can never really master it enough. You oh, really absolutely. No, you can't. It's the, game, it's the only game you can't win. That's right. But, you know, but that's the whole thing. Winning isn't so much about, oh, you know, I've won, I've won my trophy. Okay, thanks so much. That, is, that isn't really what winning's about. Winning is true winning to me is in the quality of effort that you put in during that day that says, I've done the very best I could possibly do today. And, and to be really quite honest, you know, with, with both of you, you know this as players, some days you play like crap. And people say, okay, what do you do with that? And I say, well, you've got to go out and make the very best crap sandwich, you know, that you possibly can. <laughs> yes. And then go, hey, wow. And people go, man, that was good crap you had out there today. You know? That is so true. Yeah. That is so, that is true. so true. Because the great players understand that if they can take uh, a round that's just headed towards 75, 76, 77, and turn into 72, 73, something manageable, mm -hmm. then they could actually just hang in there, perhaps, you know, you know, catch some fire later on. But the game is always about saving strokes, not wasting strokes. Oh. And that applies to everyone.
Dr. Bob, right. when, I, when I listen to him, Cheyenne, I feel like I get so excited. Like, it makes me want to go out and practice and tee it up. And where's the next tournament? Where's the first tee? Let me, uh, let me go play. <laughs> but no, Dr. Bob, honestly, when you're talking and you're coaching and you're, you're approaching, you know, the different skill sets, because you cover the gamut. You cover the elite tour player and the, and the, um, the Fortune 500 CEOs at their retreats. My question is, is there a theme that you talk to everybody about or are you taking is it different steps and different advice or different teachings per the subset of golf uh where these players are i work on a human being model i mean everybody is different everybody's wanting different things so one of the first things i ask people i I ask them what's your goal what's your dream where do you want to go and what does it feel like you know, to be you when you're playing your very best game. What's going on when you're playing your best? And we'll look at that perspective. And then I'll say, let's look at the other perspective. What's going on when you're playing your worst? And a lot of people can't tell me what they're doing when they're playing their best. They go, well, you know, I'm not really thinking about anything. But I'll say, what about playing your worst? And I'll go, I could write you a book about this. <laughs> is, that, is that true for you, Sha? Um, yeah, unfortunately, golfers are, I think we have a tendency to be very negative. We're very, we're very much perfectionists. So we're very quick to point out what's wrong and what we could do better versus, as you were saying, just say what you did great, you know, it might have been a great day, but you did do some really great things. So I think that takes some training to actually be able to recognize and get yourself to accept that. Yes, there were a list full of negative things I did, but you really do have to highlight and give yourself a little pat on the back for the great things you did as well. Well, that's the first thing. If I had like a Cheyenne Woods or a Doug Smith to come into me, the very most personal question I would ask you, I mean, right from the very get go, and it's a knee-jerk reaction question. I ask you in relations to your golf game, are you good? Mm. What, would you, what would you tell me, yes or no? No question. And a lot of people mm-hmm. sit there and go, mm, well, yes, yes, but everybody puts this big but there, okay? And what the but you know, does, it negates everything you said. Yes, I believe in myself, but only conditionally. Mm. And a lot of people have what I call conditional confidence on the condition that things work out well, they play well, and the putts sink, then they start to say, hey, okay, I'm gonna allow myself to feel confident. But golf isn't like that. You've gotta be able to say, I believe in my talent when things are going well, and I believe in my talent even more when things are tough. And that's, that's a tough thing to do. And like Cheyenne, you're talking about. But how do you teach confidence? I mean, I always felt like confidence was self-esteem. Like it's the esteem of your damn self, Doc. Like if somebody comes to you and maybe they've got the best swing in the world, um, the best move you've ever seen, but they're kind of a meek personality or they're shy. Like how do you bring the best player out of somebody? So you said something right there that, you know, I want to make, I want to correct this right now. So all of our viewers and listeners can understand this. Self-confidence and self-esteem are two different things. Self-confidence says, I can do something. I can achieve something, or I can actually develop some type of competence on this. Self-esteem, on the other hand, says, regardless of whether I have this achievement or not, I still regard myself as a worthy human being. And a lot of people put their self-esteem and golf esteem on results-based performance. 
Uh, so, oh, yeah, really, so when they play really well, they go, woohoo, boy, I'm a, I'm a superhuman being. And then when they play bad, they go, don't talk to me. I'm, I'm pathetic. I'm, I'm not yes. worthy. And, so dangerous. And, yeah, and it really takes its toll on you. And so you really have to understand is that building confidence is about building little successes, little successes, one bite at a time. And what we have, we have success after success after success. And at the end of this performance, week, day, round, or whatever, that residue of all those successes is what we call earned confidence. That's enduring confidence. That's how you build confidence. But you build confidence first with a thought because action in a golf swing always starts with a thought. That's why you got to get your head in the right place. Unbelievable. 100%. You so do you suggest <laughs> Doug is fixed. He's ready to go. I'm it. Um, I'm it. So do you suggest you, you mentioned the, the small confidence boosters and goal sets throughout the week or the round, do you suggest people write these down as they go into a round or as they're practicing, have very specific kind of bases of how, how they're able to build their confidence throughout the, the round? Yeah. For instance, in, in the, the great state of Indiana, where I'm from, I'm a Hoosier, and they have the Indiana Girls Championship going on right now. And also the Indiana Open, you know, the Indiana PGA Open. And I've got several players playing in all of those. And one of my players, you know, a young girl player asked, she goes, you know, I haven't played very much over the last, you know, three, four months because, you know, of COVID and the pandemic. She goes, and I've been really, really sick. And this is the person who's almost expected to win this thing. She didn't have a very good round today. I said, so let's readjust your goals and your aspirations for tomorrow. I said, first of all, you've had surgery. You've actually had something that's really, you know, knocked you down for many, many weeks. What you should really be doing now is enjoying the whole aspect of just playing tournament golf. But here's one thing you should do. Set a goal. How good can I be tomorrow? You know, in every shot, can I actually get 100% focused on my target? Can I give great commitment into each shot all day? And at the end of the day, it's not looking at your score. It's looking at what I call the soft statistics. You know, was I able to hang in there all day? Was I able to stay patient? Did I meet the goal of stepping into each shot and hitting that shot to the target like I wanted to? Now, if she can come back and tomorrow night we talk about this, did you do what we talked about? Then she will have won that battle for her mind that day. And that's just something that we can do, Cheyenne. It's just, it's just sort of really resetting you know, your aspirations, your goal. But for me, the most important thing for every player that I work with and me as a player, I wanna have a mission statement. I wanna have a personal playing philosophy that says, every wow. time I step into a shot, I want to absolutely positively FedEx guarantee that that ball is going to go to the target. And if it isn't, then I'm going to back up and I'm going to reset, refocus and get to that green light. Because I think 99% of all golfers who are having problems play with what I call a yellow or a red light. You know, there's a lot of doubt, a lot of confusion. But when you get that green light, that's like, yeah, that's, that's what we want. We want to go full speed ahead. And if you can get yourself to that, you know, now we're starting to cook with gas. 
See, Doc, see, I, I love when you talk like that because you'll take some concepts that seem so arbitrary and you make them make them into golf and you put them into people like like things that people can do now. Like getting to a green light. You know, I remember when we were up at Nike, uh, uh, the summer camps, we talked about the trust line and not stepping over that trust line until you had had the green light. And probably one thing that I remember you always saying is if you have doubt over the ball, being able to step off is a sign of true mental strength. Now, I love those. Like that, that has stayed <laughs> with me for 12 years. Last week in my event, I got over a putt six footer. I was not, I was arguing with myself in my head saying, should I mark this or remark it and fix my line? <laughs> and before I had decided what I was going to do, I'd already hit the putt. And I was like, shit, I missed it. Three yeah. putt. And then I'm on to the next hole. But I just, I enjoy the little things. Is that, is that on purpose? Do you make, do you condense things because everything's just so uh, grand with golf or is it, that's how you need to say it so people can remember? Let's think about something. I think you've said something that's worthy of, of our attention right now. I think 99% of all golfers at every level are playing the wrong game. They're playing the game of, I've got to shoot a certain score. I've got to impress certain people. Uh, I've got to impress these coaches that are looking at me. Uh, I wonder what these people, I wonder what they think about me. They're playing with a questioning mindset. I'm trying to get a one percent. I'm trying to make my golfers one percenters. And that is, you know, we're on team. If I'm talking about team Cheyenne Woods or team Doug Smith, who's on your team? It's me, myself, and I, like the Boy Scouts, mm -hmm. you know, on my honor to do my duty. <laughs> I will be good to myself in my golf game, right? And the point of it is, it's also another, you know, you know trifecta here. It's about me, my ball, and my target. And that's it. And when you get your mind into playing my game, this is my game. When we say own your game, what does that mean? It means I can only play my game the way I play it, the way I see it. When I hear people oh, I say, why did, awesome. you, yeah, why did you hit that shot? Well, that's the shot I saw. They go, I wouldn't have played that shot. And I'm going, I know. You're not me. Okay. <laughs> all right. So go play your own game. All right. But, but, <laughs> But you know, we talk about getting to that green light. The thing I'm trying to do is simplify this game. I mean, from, from the mental you know, uh, perspective, so you can actually go out and play free. Emotional freedom is a concept I talked about 30, 35 years ago. To be able to give yourself permission to just light it up. And a lot of people ask me, well, Doc, what if I can't get to a green light? And I ask them, I go, help have you ever run a yellow light? And they go, yeah. Like, the point of it is, if you can't get to a green light, you damn well better get to a yellow light because yellow says, well, maybe, maybe this will be the shot that gets me over the hump. I know a lot of us have, you know, sort of little flinchy little shots. We have, you know, a, a shot, a hole that doesn't look good to us, but you've got to get to that yellow light and force your way through it because what you just said, and we talked about this for 35, 40 years now. If you step in and you hit a shot when you have a red light and you know damn well that you're not ready to hit that shot, but you, you're worried about everybody else looking at you, you're on the clock, you think the USGA or the LPG <laughs> is going to say something to you. So you and you just hit it anyway, right? Yeah. Any way shot goes anywhere. 
Damn uh, right. So you never, ever hit a shot until you're absolutely positively ready to hit the shot. And if the listeners can just get one thing from tonight, if they do that, they could become really good really fast. I agree. I always, I always tell amateurs when we're playing in pro-ams, you know, they hit the ball left into the water. And the first thing they say is, I knew I was going to hit it there. I was thinking about it over the ball. And I tell them that's the most important part of your routine of being over the ball is having a clear mind and focusing on your target and not where you don't want it to go. And if those thoughts do creep, creep into your mind, don't be afraid to step away. Don't be afraid to take a few extra seconds. Um, so I think that's so important for the listeners to know at every level of, of whatever golf you're playing, even a professional level, I had to get used to stepping away because it is uncomfortable at first. People are looking at you. You're taking a little longer, but you have to truly, like you said, play your game and do what you need to do to hit the shot that you want. Yeah, absolutely. I remember it's, it's so hard to step off, though, Doc. It's so hard. Like, it's <laughs> like you get over you get that paralysis over the ball and then you start like, shit, I got to hit it. And then it's like just the, the, the act of stepping off, admitting that you weren't ready. I feel like a lot of people have an issue with that. Well, regardless do. of your level, and, regardless and, of level. And I'll give you a great story, a personal story. Uh, I was uh, qualifying for a champions tour, you know, several years ago. And uh, it was the first time, you know, I attempted, you know, a champions tour qualifying. Sam Torrance and, you know, Mark McNulty and a lot of us, you know, were playing. And I'm on the first tee. And I'm not going to say the gentleman, you know, who was on the first tee with me. But they announced my name. They said, Robert Winters for Orlando, Florida. We're playing at Disney Magnolia. So I step up there. And, and one of my playing partners has got a, a, a whole, you know, pocket full of change. And he's just sitting there dingling it, dingling it. And, and, and I'm, I'm just getting ready to tee up. And yes, I'm stepping into the ball. I mean, my is <laughs> pretty good. But I could hear this like little, it was almost like Santa Claus is coming to town, all right? <laughs> I turn around and I looked and I looked at Kevin and I said, hey, Kevin, I said, you wouldn't have to have change for a dollar, would you? That's what said to him, right? And everybody sort of cracked up there on the first tee. And he goes, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Because he was, you know, everybody's amped up. You know, it's like the first day, you know, the biggest tour school and whatever. And, hey, all golfers have that same feeling when they go to mm -hmm. the first tee. Everybody does. I mean, and I work with some of the, the world's best athletes uh, in different sports. And they say nothing really, you know, causes me to have as much fear as it does playing golf. It's not even in front of a huge crowd, just in front of a, a few spectators that, you know, yeah. think there's going to have some type of evaluation or some type of social judgment. And we need to really just disconnect from that and get our focus down into the fairway. I mean, it's, it's pretty funny, but it happens to everybody, right? It sounds so simple. <laughs> it does sound super simple, Doc. But let's, let's, let's unpack that a little bit because everybody that plays golf experiences those first tee jitters. You know, and hell, I went to Riviera a couple years ago and they announce everybody that steps on that first tee. And I was not prepared. I didn't know. Nobody warned me. I didn't get the memo or the email. Uh -huh. So they're like, first tee, so-and-so tee time, Doug Smith. And it's like, you know how one and 10 are side by side at Riviera. Yeah. And I, I was cool. Wasn't nervous at all until I heard my name over that loudspeaker. And then it was like, I wanted to impress these people that I've never <laughs> seen, that I'll never see again. That, that live out there in LA. And I was just like, damn these jitters, but I, you feel it on the first tee at, at, at that 
you know, event. You fill in the first tee when you're playing a money game with your boys and your girls on Saturday morning. Doc, how can we overcome those first tee jitters? I think that's the first thing you have to say. I think everybody has it. I'm a human being. So you have to sort of embrace, you know, those nerves. Now, most people want to actually equate nervousness with fear and not being ready. And what I'm trying to do is help people have a different perspective. When you are amped up, all right, you do have some cortisol. You've got some stress hormones going on, but you've also got adrenaline. You probably got testosterone. You've got a lot of different, you've got this sort of what we call this catecholamine cocktail, all of these hormones inside. So what you have to be able to do is you've got to be able to consciously slow it down and remember a couple of things that the great Arnold Palmer told me. He said, when I got into competition, he goes, I stepped up in the first tee and I only wanted to do two things. One is I wanted to make sure, you know, I had that ball position just right there on the tee. He goes, I would go through my waggles, but when I stepped up, I looked at my target, I fell in love with my target, and then I stepped in there and I took a full aggressive swing and hit it right down the fairway. And I think, you know, that's what we have to do. So those of us who have a lot of first tee anxiety, I think we have to go back and take a couple of really large rehearsals. I mean, even bigger. I mean, really stretch yourself See, out. I like that you called it rehearsal and not practice swing. I really <laughs> like that. Not practice, because you know, if you haven't got it by, by then, you're, you're not practicing. <laughs> it's a little too late. <laughs> I call it a, a pre-hearsal. It's pre before the actual event, but it's also a, a rehearsal. So I put the two and created sort of a, a neologism. It's a pre-hearsal. You're pre-hearsing. And what you're doing is it's called neural priming. You are priming the neural pathways in the brain to actually move the body. So when you actually pre-stretch, you know, the muscles, you're also sending a signal. This is the path that I want, you know, my body to follow. So when you actually pre-stretch and you make a full committed swing, you're giving yourself the very best chance of hitting it great. And that's what Nicholas told me. Nicholas said under pressure, he wanted to make sure he made it a full turn. Why? It wasn't so much about confidence and this or that. It was about his full swing gave him timing. And it was timing. And it's confidence that gives you the timing to make that full turn. So everybody's on the first tee. Make a big, big, full rehearsal swing, then step in, hit the ball, keep your head still, hit it hard. I love that. Now you mentioned with that, a connection of the mind and the body and how powerful that is. What are your thoughts on visualization and the power of that, whether it be behind the ball or even off the course of visualizing the swing that you want or the golf that you want to play? Absolutely. I mean, everything we do, Cheyenne, is, is created in our conscious and our subconscious. As we're talking to each other tonight, this is what we call 5% of the conscious mind. We got 95% that's like, you know, below the surface. But everything we say, everything we think, everything we do is sort of being, you know, sort of replayed over and over. So visualization is huge. I mean, just imagining yourself. I always tell people uh, on the range, I've never seen anybody, and you know this, Cheyenne and Doug, you know this as well. I've never seen anybody on the range at any of these world premier academies at the Ledbetter Academy. I've never seen anybody with their feet up, okay, with their heads behind their back. And I go, hey, what are you doing? And they go, I'm visualizing 
and thinking I'm going to play great. No, when I see them, they go, I'm really working hard. I'm really grinding. Hard. I'm grinding. Yeah, yeah, I'm grinding. I'm really working hard. I mean, isn't that funny? Because you become what you think about all the time. And if you're thinking about playing great, and I happen again, the 99 percenters are thinking about screwing up versus going out to play great, because that's the fork in the road. Do you go out to play great or do you go out to avoid, you know, failure? Do you go out to avoid screwing up? And I guarantee you, this is a pretty uh, filled highway right here because everybody is going on this road trying not to screw up. And when you try not to do something, you almost inevitably do that. And that's what absolutely that's the ironic process theory. Cheyenne, you were talking earlier about don't go right. Don't go right. Don't leave it short. We're always under the impression of don't instead mm-hmm. of this is what I want to do. So yes. and when you say I don't want to go right, the last word of that sentence you say to yourself right. is right and people <laughs> exactly where it goes. So instead of saying it wants to go right, I want to hit this ball down the middle of the fairway, middle of the fairway, or I want to roll mm-hmm. this ball into the hole. Seems simple enough, but that's why, you know, verbalization a directed mind gives you. It tells you, this is what I want to do. This is where I want to go. Let's go. Let's do it. Now, Dr. Bob, so I get excited every time I talk to you, right? And I love, I love talking about, you know, neuroscience and stuff as we get into golf and as we get into mental preparedness. But I do want to switch gears just a touch because I want to talk about how those neural pathways and that visualization and getting to the green light affect putting. You changed my mindset on putting the difference between making a putt and holding a putt. Can you talk through the mindset of the two different things with our listeners? Because I think if they understand the difference between the two, they're on their way to making more putts. Well, I, I think, you know, making putts, holding putts, and whatever, you know, a vernacular you want to talk about. I happen to believe, and I have this philosophy, that every putt that you step up to can be made. The only putt on any putting surface that cannot be made is the green that doesn't have a putting cup cut into the green. (laughs) All right. Now, now that being said, I mean, if we think about this, if we go back years ago, there was a great example because there was Johnny Miller playing with Arnold Palmer against Tom Watson and Jack Nicklaus. It was the opening up in Michigan of Jack's new course. And Johnny Miller was down at the front of this green. And he had about a 110-foot putt. And we've all seen this on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And he's down there going to actually hit a wedge to hit it up, you know, on the top tier. And Jack's sitting there going, oh, my God, not on my golf course, not on opening day. And he says, he goes, use your putter. And Johnny Miller goes, no, there's no way I can get it there. Jack says, you want me to putt it for it? And Jack comes down, steps up there, wax, knocks it in the hole. <laughs> so yep. every putt can be made. But more importantly than that, you know, Doug and Cheyenne, every putt deserves to be made. And what that means is you deserve your full intention, your full focus to say, this is where I want the ball to go on my ball roll line at my speed at which I hit it. So when you actually have that, you now have great putting focus because focus is based on two things. One It's the attention and energy you give into this event. I'm giving full energy into this event. That's attention. The second thing is intention. Intention says, this is what I want to do with this putt. 
So now when you're giving it energy, this is what I want to do, and here's where I want it to go. So when you step in to actually make a putt, you're thinking about, I really do want to make this. I want to hold this putt because this putt can be made, and every putt deserves to be made. So you have attention and intention, which is great focus for putting. And every putt you step into, you all you know, say, listen, I may not make this, but my intention is that this putt's going down. And if you're going to miss putts, people go, well, what if I miss? I go, did you miss it well? And people go, <laughs> what does that mean? They go, I never heard that before. I go, when you miss it well, you missed it with the intention of making it. So if you're going to miss putts, you damn well better be stepping in up there with a mindset that says, I'm you know, stroking this ball to make and hold this putt. If I miss it, I miss it well. Think about it. All the people who've been great putters you've ever putted with, when they putt, they look like every putt they hit. It doesn't, they all, but they all look like they have a chance going in. And I guarantee you, when you have somebody like that and you start watching them, you're going, ooh, I want to catch their fever. What are mm -hmm. they doing? No question. I mean, they're actually making putts in their mind first before they step into it. And that's really the secret to making putts and holding putts. Every putt can be made and every putt deserves to be made. And if you're missing putts, by God, miss them while trying to make them. Yeah, definitely. I have a question regarding that, um, even just for me personally. Okay. When you have that mindset of wanting, seeing the ball go in the hole, seeing the perfect shot, how do you separate that from getting tied up in expectations and result-based? Well, here's the thing. What is an expectation? Okay. Can you tell me what an expectation is? What is it? I guess a, a standard that you set for yourself and um, an expected result. No, that's exactly right. Because that's what an expectation is. It's a preset standard that says this is how something, you know, has to be. And a lot of people go, well, okay, what should I do with these expectations? For me, let's let go of the expectations. Let's let go of the expectations and get into something called execution. Let me execute this stroke the very best way I can. Okay. Yeah, we want to make the putt, but we've got to put the expectations on hold so we can actually go through the process of putting, of actually putting like a little kid. Oh, I love kids when they putt. Being free. Because see, the point of it is what we have, you know, in our golfing world is. I mean, you just take this with any little beginner. Take a little 10 or 11-year-old, and you put them 10 feet in the hole, and you go, hey, you think you can make this putt? Mm -hmm. and they go, yeah. Yeah, okay. And they step up there, and they, they find a way to whack it in the hole. Then you put them three feet from the hole, and you go, you think you can make that putt? And they go, duh. Yeah, I'm so close to the hole. But see, what happens the years of emotional scar tissue, the years of missing, the expectations, I'll look like a fool. And, you know, and you may even have some people that get under your skin and they start saying things under the breath, like, yip, 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 when you're over the butt, you know, and you just got to be able to put that stuff out of your mind because it's just a putt. But how, Doc, how do you put it out of your mind? How do you, how do you say, F everybody, I'm just going to roll it. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's, that's, a, that's a difficult task to, to, you know, as you alluded to, that scar tissue. 
it's it's hard. There's no surgeons out here to get rid of the the putting scar tissue that you've built up over the years. So when you're working with players, I you know, be it a, a Cheyenne Woods or a or a guy off the street, how do you get them to let go of that baggage? Well, I mean, I guess the biggest thing is I'm asking them, where are you putting your energy? Are you putting your energy more into wanting to be successful, or are you fighting for your fear of failure? You know, really, where are you putting your energy? I want their energy to put in, hey, I don't care if we make the putt, but let's step up there and have every intention of hitting this putt solid, giving it a chance, giving yourself a chance. To me, it's about giving yourself emotional permission to step up there and hit it. Hey, listen, if you're going to go down, you know, if you're you're really going to go down in this game, at least go down, you know, with guns blazing. All right. Because I tell you what, I think it's a heck of a lot better to actually step up there and say, you know, hey, you missed the putt. Hey, I wasn't trying to miss it. I was trying to make it. You know, but a lot of people go, well, you know, I. So you, the, the desire for success has to be much stronger than your fear of failure, Doug and Cheyenne. It just has to. And you have to just keep reminding yourself it's just putting, it's just a. <laughs> And, and I remember, and I, I will tell a funny story of myself. Years ago, I was talking to the uh, Golf Writers uh, International Meeting. There were about 500 people in the room. And so I said, you have to be able to stand up over a five-foot putt, whether it's for $5, $50, or $500,000, and you have to have the very same mindset. It's a five-foot putt. Everybody, hey, wonderful. Wow, this guy's fantastic. Chi-Chi gets up there, and he looks at me, and he goes, Hey, Dr. Bob, I'll tell you what, that was some great stuff. I believe everything you said, but one thing for sure, I know you've never bought it for $500,000. <laughs> you know, and so I mean, the whole room, you know, cracked up and laughing. But, but it's the whole point. But, but then he actually came back and said, but he goes, the science behind that and the intention about that is so true. And he goes, it's easier to talk about than it is to do. And that's why we're talking about this, this stuff, because it is easy to discuss. But first, you've got to plant the seed in your mind. Is it possible? So when people talk to me, oh, you don't, you're that guy about positive thinking. I've never told anybody to be positive, all right, ever. But I am talking about possibility thinking. Is it possible to, for you to actually go out this next week and say, you know what? I'm going to change my attitude about putting and I'm going to keep telling myself I'm a great putter because I'm not talking about fake it till you make it. I hate that saying myself. I always say, do it until you become it. All right. So you do this over and over and then you practice what you preach. And so I'm always one of these people that walk the walk, talk the talk. And it's just like the little engine that could, I think I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. But the whole point at the time that most people get lost in this little engine that could, all this time this little engine was making it up the mountain, that's what we call athletic growth. That little engine was believing, I'm growing in confidence getting up this mountain. And then when you know, she gets to the top of the mountain, she goes, is that it? I, I knew I could. <laughs> I knew I could. And then she enjoys the ride down. Yeah. And then people go, well, what do you do after that mountain? I go, well, there's another mountain over there. Let's go through that mountain. It's good. It's good. Yeah, if you're going up one and you're going down the other, there's another one coming. So like if, if, and this is going to be weird, but I'm going to frame it like I want to. So if you're an alcoholic and you go to AA, you know, you have to admit that you're an alcoholic, right? That's, that's the first step towards recovery. In golf, I feel like we are alcoholics to some degree. 
we all know when we need a golf lesson. Like we seek lessons to get confidence. That's why I get a lesson. I want somebody to tell me that I'm doing good, you know, uh, stroke my ego a little bit and help me, you know, a couple positions and then I can go play good golf. How does somebody know when they're in a mental rut and they need to see someone like you? I don't know. When, when does somebody know when they need to see a performance coach, sports psychologist, uh, uh, confidence doctor, et cetera? When they're sick and tired of playing, being sick and tired. That's really when, you know, there's a, a, a real uh, agent for change right there. When somebody says, it's got to be better than this. And when they've tried every new putter, every new driver, they've read everything in all of these different instruction books. And finally, they have to take a look in the mirror and go, you know what? It's got to be you. I think that's where we have to take personal responsibility, accountability, and go, listen, if it is to be, it has to begin and end with me. And so what I'm going to have to, you know, try to talk with people about and say, listen, you know, hey, I am here for you. But most people have been playing the wrong game. They've been playing the game of you versus you, you versus you. That isn't Dr. Bob Winters. My game is this. It's the heart, all right? Mm-hmm. It's you for you, you helping you. And a lot of people say, well, you talk a lot about being self, self-centered, you know, really focusing on you. They go, isn't that selfish? I go, selfishness gets a bad rap in our culture because selfishness means you have a high personal regard for one's own well-being. So I always talk about being self-full. You're full of yourself giving yourself the stuff that you need to help you perform your very best. It doesn't matter what, you know, anybody else is doing. I don't care. It's sort of like, you know, if Brooks, you know, wants to do what he wants to do, if Bryson wants to do what he wants to do, and Justin wants to do, fantastic. Each one of you, you know, has got to find your own way, but you've got to do it your way. I feel like once you know what you can't do, it makes the game a hell of a lot easier. Now, what do you mean by that statement? So, for example... Zach Johnson ain't going to hit it like Bryson because they have different builds, different styles. They can't play the same type of game. So Zach Johnson knows he can't hit it 350 and he owns the fact that he hits it 280 on a frozen rope. You see what I'm saying? So knowing your own limitations and operating within them, I think personally for me, like I, I, I just now learned that I don't have to hit driver on every hole. I just learned that shit like last week. Now that I can lay back with a hybrid and hit a 240 on a 400-yard hole and I got a full nine iron into a hole, I don't have to hold back, I'm playing a hell of a lot better golf. You know, that's just, I mean, that's just me. But I know now it's like, I know what I can't do and, by, and it's freeing me up to do the things I can do more. That's fantastic. Often. And I tell you what, Doug, you're the only guy I know that had his 45-inch driver cut down to 42 inches and you told everybody <laughs> that it was, a, it was a super hybrid, okay, at the time. That you could really hit that a long way. <laughs> so that's, that's why I love you, Doc. That's why I love you, man. <laughs> no, I mean, but that's the truth. Hey, listen. Zach Johnson goes out there and he said, you know, listen, he, everybody respects, you know, Bryson, what he's done, Brooks, what he's done. I mean, they sort of actually re, you know, structured, they metamorphosized their bodies so that they could actually, you know, play this power game. But hey, again, the game is about being efficient. It's about being effective. It's about being very economical. And I got to tell you, whoever gets that ball in the hole as fast as they can it's usually the person that wins the game. And that's, again, it comes back to, do you love your talent? 
and you better believe in your talent. And that's what the first thing people come and say, hey, what, what are you going to teach me? I'm going to help you understand one thing. It's about believe. Do you believe that when you step up in the first tee, you are the hottest thing since sliced bread? Because in the word believe, because if you don't believe that you're a great player, there is a word inside believe, B-E-L-I-E-V-E. It's a lie. If you don't believe in your talent, it's just a lie. And in this game, you can't fake it because the golf ball always knows what you're thinking. When you step into a ball, you know, and you have doubt, that doubt's what you see. And so that's really, that's, that's really what we're talking about here. We just got to get yourself believing in what you do well. And now you're just going out there with no expectations. And now you're just executing and playing the game that you should have been playing a long time ago. I wish I knew it's what it was. It's so hard as a golfer. For us, I feel like it's the complete opposite of what most of us golfers do because we're always going out. You think you have to grind, 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 and it becomes stressful. And to play golf stressed out is not ideal. Um, I've played some of my best rounds when I'm free. Like you said, I have no expectations. I'm enjoying the round of golf. I'm enjoying competitive golf. And as hard as it is for us to let that go, it's so important for us to have that because that is when we're able to let our true ability come out and truly enjoy it. Because I mean, golf is a game at the end of the day and we play it because we love it. It, it is. And I think two stories that I've been privy to was one was Darren Clark, you know, the British Open, the great European, you know, tour champion, uh, Ryder Cup captain. Uh, Darren Clark was getting ready to play, I think, at Wentworth. And he goes on the range and he steps up there and he hits a couple little wedges and he shanks a couple. And then he says, give me a seven iron. And he hits a couple of clanky seven irons. <laughs> he goes, uh, give, me my, give me my five wood. Hits a couple bad five woods. Snap ropes a couple of drivers. He goes, Oh, hell, can't get any worse than that. He goes to the first tee, he goes out and shoots 62, and it was a course record at the time. Uh, another one more recently was Jimmy Fury shooting his 58. He was talking about he didn't even get in a, a, a chance to even, you know, hit any practice spots. He was just, you know, kind of running you know, low on time. He goes out there, no expectations, and he's just playing. You know, so when you give yourself permission to play, play the game, and, and, and we know how to play it. So I think that's really what, you know, a lot of people, you have to have a basic level of swing competence, though, in order to actually, you know, move the ball from point A to point B. I mean, and that's really when the game becomes really intoxicating. It really sort of sucks you in because that partial reinforcement, you might hit three clunkers, but then you hit a good one and you're going, ooh, golf brought me back <laughs> in. It sucks me back in, right? That's it. Every time. Last thing I want to talk to you about, and Cheyenne, I'm not putting your business in the street and I'm not actually alluding to you at all, but I do want to talk about those folks that play and they play. Touring professionals, Dr. Bob, how do you avoid burnout, especially when you're playing for cash, week in, week out, hotel life, you're in city after city. I mean, shit, Shy. I, I don't mean to speak for you, but there's got to be some times where you're like, I need a vacation, I need a beach, I need a hammock. Um, yeah, I mean, it is a lot because as much as we don't want it to be different, sometimes competition golf and tour life is very different than the golf that we grew up loving and how we, we fell in love with it. So that's a great question. And just how do you create that separation or, or not have it separate? How do you create it to be more of a, a one 
feel of when you're playing golf and not having to feel burnt out and truly enjoying the process? Well, you know, that's a, we, we could have a whole show on that. <laughs> sure. We really could. But I think really, quite simply, the players who are on tour, uh, I think, have always dreamed about being on tour. And they have aspired and worked very hard to get on tour. And so to keep them from getting stagnant, stale, or whatever, it always has to be sort of this want to. You know, I want to be out there. And if I feel like I don't want to be out there, maybe I just need to take a week off to sort of recharge my batteries. Uh, I think uh, I, I just read something, Dr. Greg Rose, you know, great uh, physical therapist and trainer, talked about, you know, the greatest piece of equipment sometimes, you know, for an athlete is the bed, you know, is sleep. And so you've got to have rest, you've got to sleep, you've got to rejuvenate, you know, your mind. But to me, I always tell, you know, my tour players, it's going to be a love-hate relationship out there. You've got to love the days when you hate it. You have to. And you've got to love the hate. Wow. Because it's a love-hate relationship. It really is. And it's like anything else. And we talk about relationships, you know, with another person. I mean, love and hate, you know, it's like the opposite sides of the sword. But, you know, what Doug's talking about is when you just get so tired, sick and tired, this is the cutting edge. This is the indifferent. I don't care. When I get to a person, I don't care where I play. I don't care. I don't, I don't care. That, that's when we got some real issues going on. But, you know, if they hate it and love it, you know, we can kind of sort of rejuvenate that. But you've got, again, to love the hate because this is a tough game and it will wear you down. And that's where you have to be mentally and emotionally strong. But you've also got to be smarter than your doubt and better than your fear. Meaning that if you fear, you know, I might you know, miss the cut, I might not make it. We need to get you that tipping point that gets you back believing, hey, you know, it only takes one good round. It only takes maybe one good week. And it turns your entire year. Career. It I mean, turn it's career. unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, you look at Webb Simpson. Webb Simpson, I mean, the guy wins, what, 2012 yeah. U.S. Open, disappears for eight years, and all of a sudden he's won like – three of the last eight tournaments yeah. on tour. I mean, he's, he, there had to be an awakening there. And I, I just, I, I have friends and people that I know that I feel like sometimes get to that tipping point with golf uh, and they don't acknowledge it. And then that's when that grind starts, Doc. When they start to feel like every day's a grind, every practice is a Damn. grind, every workout is a grind. I don't, I feel like that's a, that's a curse. I don't ever, it, now, now where I am now, I never want to look back and yeah, cry. I mean, you know, a lot of people said, I'd rather, I'd rather wear out than rust out. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, I've heard people say that before. But you got to take a look at people like Vijay Singh, who's there on range eight, nine, ten hours a day. But Vijay, the whole thing about golf, it's his profession, it's his vocation, his avocation, his vacation, it's everything. He just loves it. I mean, I think VJ Singh gets more pleasure, not just out of hitting great golf shots, but telling some great stories that he's heard along the way, up and down the line. And, he, and he's, you always hear him laughing, but he's always having a great time out there. So that's what I'm always trying to help people understand is that if you're really grinding, 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 then you've got to learn to love the, the grind. I've always said you either love this game or you learn to love it. And if you can't do any one of those two things, then you need to go pick up tennis, okay? Because <laughs> golf isn't the sport for you, you know? It really is. It's one of the things that you have to do. But you either love it. And, and so it, it is. It's, it's a love-hate experience. You've got to love the hate, and you've got to, you know, love it when the days are going bad because 
Hey, it just takes a couple of shots, a couple of holes to get you turned around. And that's why I've always said, and that's why I've trademarked it. The moment you change your mind, you change your game. And, and it's just life altering. It really is. If people don't listen to this episode and absolutely go play better golf, then you got to yeah. change the channel, man. Like, good goodness. Oh, I'm so happy that we had this conversation because, you know, we haven't played a lot of competition golf in the last few months, but, you know, I'm getting ready to start my season in a few weeks. So this conversation was just perfect timing. And hopefully the listeners at home can take a lot from it, too. But it's just really good timing to kind of get all those juices flowing again and get you refocused on, like you said, enjoying the game thinking about the possibilities versus just positively. Um, I'm really, really happy that we had this conversation. You had a really, you had a lot of great gems in there. So I appreciate it. Shia, you, you better not say that to Dr. Bob. He's going to send you a bill for this. <laughs> <laughs> no, any, any, anytime, you know, I could help you know, either one of you. I, I love to, I mean, obviously Doug's been, you know, one of my favorite people for a long time. And now Cheyenne, you know, you can be one of my favorite people too. And I Yay. wish you much success you know, this year. I, I got to tell you, that, that's the great thing is that we have a sport that's just not a sport. It's a lifestyle. It's, it's just a way of being unbelievably engaged. And it, it allows us a chance to really meet and enjoy other people's company in a game that we love so much. And it's fantastic. Thank you guys so much for having me. Dr. Bob, appreciate you. Thank you so much for jumping on Birdies Not BS. How do the people get a hold of you? Where do we find you? How can somebody become a client? I mean, they could go to drbobwinters.com. That's one. I have theconfidencedoctor.com. They can find me at. And you can also go to davidledbetter.com and you can find me there. Uh, my Instagram is Dr. Bob Winters. If they want to email me, they can reach, reach me very simply at drbob, Dr. Bob, at drbobwinters.com. Well, there it is. You have been blessed by the man himself. You can't see his hair, but I can. And for being 60 years old, I mean, this guy's got David Hasselhoff beat. Uh, Dr. Bob, thank you so much. Uh, appreciate you. I love you. And we'll, we'll hear from you next time. All right. Thanks, Doug. Thanks, Cheyenne. No, we want to be your front door. So we know that you listening or downloading the episodes and, and liking us on Instagram. We appreciate that. But but tell your friends about us. Go out and let's grow the game together. We want to be the front door to those people that you're bringing into the game of golf in a no BS fashion. We're going to give it to you straight and all the way real. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Birdies Not BS, Birdies Not BS.com. Tell your peoples about us. Catch y'all next week.